Hi, Carmina. Hi, Patch. Hi, listeners. Welcome to Jeepney Trip, a podcast where we explore everything fun, weird, and in-between about the Philippines. A word about our sponsor. Jeepney Trip is sponsored by Soulpack, a functional shoe accessory bag. Its patented design stores your shoes on the sides of your backpack and provides an ergonomic and hygienic means to carry your shoes. Now you can travel hands-free, have more space inside your backpack, and keep your dirty shoes away from everything. Be sure to also check out their string bags and backpacks for more options. Visit thesoulpack.com and enter Jeepney Trip 10 at checkout for a 10% discount. Now back to our show. Today's trip is a side trip. And what we mean by side trip is when we take a short detour to a specific place and discuss it with a bit more depth. And our side trip for today is Manila. Manila is the capital and chief city of the Philippines. The city is the center of the country's economic, political, and cultural activities. If you want to learn more about travel to the city, please refer to the links in our show notes. So, Patch, let's talk about the difficulties we had for this episode. We were going to talk about pre-colonial Manila. But I had the hardest time finding any material that talked about pre-colonial Manila. The reason why we're having such a difficult time is because there really wasn't a lot of written history preserved during that time. Because when the Spanish colonized us, that part of our history was essentially either erased or not preserved. For the sake of our listeners, maybe we can just mention some basic facts. Do you remember what they used to teach us in grade school about where the name Manila came from? Originally, the city's name was Mainilad, which is derived from the Nilad plant or the mangroves along the banks of the rivers at that time. My equals there are, and then Nilad is the plant. But there are articles that say the word Nila is Sanskrit that refers to the color indigo. It's a probable and more credible origin because the plants that were actually growing in Manila Bay were plants where you could extract indigo dye from. I thought that was really interesting because it was the first time I heard Sanskrit as a possible origin for the name. I never heard that version either. Another interesting thing that I read was about the Laguna Copperplate inscription. Have you heard about that? It was actually discovered in 1989 in Laguna, which is a province in south of Manila for those who are not familiar. And it's the oldest known inscription of pre-Hispanic times in the Philippines. Guess what date they ascribed to it? Why? 900 AD. What? And the language that was used in this inscription is a mix of Sanskrit, Javanese, Old Malay, and Old Tagalog words. So what was in it? The inscription was actually a legal document that described how the ruler at that time forgave a debt of a family. So it really showed that there was this sophisticated society that already existed way back in 900 AD. Yeah, it sounds like there's some form of rule of law and court system they had developed. That sounds like it. 
And then the other interesting thing that was contained in that Laguna copper plate inscription was a reference to names and places that still exist today. And one such place, guess what? What? Is the kingdom of Tondo. And according to this document, Tondo was ruled by an unnamed person who held a Sanskrit title. So there was advanced trading that was happening during that time, even before the Spanish came. The Spanish expeditions didn't even land in Manila. All the Spanish expeditions actually landed in the Visayas. And the last one, which was led by Legaspi, was the most successful one in Cebu. While he was staying there, he heard of this settlement called Manila. From this new discovery, he sent an envoy there. And imagine this patch. What the Spanish found there apparently was a really prosperous city where all kinds of Chinese luxury goods were already present and circulating in ordinary life. They discovered pottery, jewelry. And there were even early accounts by the Spaniards that they found Filipino families eating from Song Dynasty Celadon bowls, which were these ceramic bowls from that period. And just to give you an idea of how valuable those are, one of them actually went in auction in 2012 for $26 million. Wow. So ordinary families were eating from those types of bowls and ceramics. And they also were wearing silks, pearls, all kinds of really precious and much coveted products. That's when they realized the potential for making Manila the central trading post in Asia. That's right. So when Legaspi heard about it, he put all of his resources towards conquering Manila. And the name of the ruler of Manila at that time was a person called Suleiman. That I remember. Raha Sulaiman was sometimes referred to as Sulaiman III. He was Raha of Manila, which is the fortified Tagalog Muslim area in the southern part of the Pasig River. So I don't know why, Patch, but that kind of hits me differently at this age than when we were studying it. The fact that Sulaiman was actually a Muslim. Actually, a lot of historians theorize that our future would have been really different if Spain hadn't intervened because this battle between Catholicism and Islam figures very heavily in Spanish history. And I can just imagine that beyond the economic benefits that they saw in conquering Manila, a lot of it also had to do with their perceived mission of ridding the world of the Islam religion. This was definitely a win for their religious war. That's true. As a side note, so it's kind of painful to realize that in modern society in Manila, the Muslim population don't really have representation, where in fact they were the ruling population before the Spaniards came. If we were colonized by any other superpower back in that time, like the Dutch and the British who were Protestant, it was still a possibility that Islam may have propagated more than it has today. Because those other superpowers at that time, their colonizing principle was less about defeating Islam and more about economic growth. In fact, Islam is still the most widely practiced religion in Southeast Asia. 
So, Brunei, Indonesia, Malaysia, parts of Thailand, some parts of Mindanao still in the Philippines. Right, because they're more geographically close to those neighbors. Right. So the Spanish saw fortunes to be made because at that time they were already ruling Mexico. So when they saw luxury goods that were circulating in Filipino society, they saw an opportunity to re-export them to Mexico. They made overtures towards Suleiman, but Suleiman was very suspicious of foreigners and turned them away. And that's when the battle for Manila started. As we know, Suleiman was defeated. Manila became crucial for the success of the galleon trade. And that's when goods from China went to Manila and then to Acapulco. It was very profitable for the Spaniards, and it really made Manila the seat of Spanish power. The Spaniards settled within the walled city called Intramuros. Right. So Manila became a very cosmopolitan city. And the population that started small of about 2,000 in 1571 swelled to about 20,000 Filipinos, about 16,000 Chinese. And even with that amount of Filipinos, they didn't really live in the walled city. It was the Spaniards who lived in luxury within the walled city. So the galleon trade was not just responsible for shipment of goods. It was also of food. So that's how we got introduced to products like maize, avocado, tomatoes, and sweet potatoes, of all things. I didn't realize that that wasn't really native to the Philippines, but was brought to us by Mexico. How about pineapples? I read that it was because of the galleon trade. I was under the false notion that pineapples were native to us. One of the other things that were exchanged with Mexico was their culture. In a lot of ways, we have very similar cultures, even the way we cook. Traditionally, we had a lot of fish, but we started using pork and other more savory dishes. And I'm not sure, is that a Spanish influence more than a Mexican influence, though? I think that kind of bleeds together because the Mexicans were also colonized by Spain and they were ahead of us by some good number of decades. So by the time the galleon trade was established, There were already many Spaniards living in Mexico. And in fact, I think it's historically accurate to say that most of the Spanish that landed in the Philippines were already in Mexico. One of the other things that we've learned was also the introduction of religious icons from Mexico. One of the examples is the Black Nazarene that it's in the Capo Church. That was carved by a Mexican craftsman in Mexico, and then it was transported to the Philippines in the 1600s. For people who are not familiar with it, it depicts the Christ on his way to his crucifixion. The tradition surrounding the Black Nazarene survives to this day. You know, what's funny is it created this industry of manufacturers of religious statues 
they were carved by artisans who were mostly Chinese who lived in the outskirts of Intramuros called Taparian. And they had great skill in painting and carving. And so they basically manufactured and copied these European religious icons. They made it in the Philippines and they were exported. So there could be Filipino icons that are centuries old that are in these ancient European sites. (laughs) Possibly, yes. It's possible, right? One of the experiences that I've had recently that I never really had a light bulb moment about until now was when I went to a work trip of all places in Sao Paulo, Brazil. The person who was driving me from the airport to my hotel said that he was part Filipino. I think I remember you mentioning that story to me. So I don't remember in detail, though. What was your reaction? I would have freaked out. Well, at first, I was wondering if he was pulling my leg. He was saying that he owed his Filipino ethnicity to a great-great-grandmother. And I was wondering, how could that have happened? I never really at that moment thought that the galleon trade could have something to do with it, especially since Brazil was a Portuguese territory. But when you're talking about trade and movement of people, it's plausible that Filipinos made it there, especially because of all of this free flow of people just being transported back and forth from Asia to what was then called the New World. Right. And I think at some point, the Spaniards were trying to control the trade between specific countries, specifically just Spain. But traders and the merchants at that time were just finding ways to circumvent those policies. And so I'm sure a lot of the trade happened with different countries as well outside of Spain. Okay, so what about fun facts that you've learned during this whole process of researching about Manila's history. So one piece of trivia that I found was about the Manila folder. It's called the Manila folder because the paper was from a type of banana tree that was commonly called the abaca plant. And the abaca plant were turned into very durable and strong Manila folders. And the Manila folders were used for very important documents. So today, the Manila folders aren't made from that original material. They're from the usual heavy tan paper that is widely circulated nowadays. But it retained that color to evoke the original. You know me, Carmina. (laughs) You know my love for food. Yes. So... One of the things that I learned was that we developed the sweet tooth because of Hispanic culinary legacy. So they introduced sweets, sugary, buttery, egg-based foods like the leche flan, whereas prior to that, our desserts were rice-based puddings or panghimagas. The other interesting thing that I learned was Did you know that the horses came from Mexico and they were not native to the Philippines? Wow, so the Kalesa horses? Yes, and 
another interesting thing that I learned about, I don't know why this is noteworthy to me. So most of the Spanish missionaries in their chronicles, they observed the natives were always bathing frequently and pampering our bodies with exquisite fragrances. I don't know why I'm super proud of that. <laughs> the fact that we love to bathe, <laughs> that is ingrained in who we are as a people, is really very fascinating and something to be proud of. I have to agree with that. We have to remember that the accounts of us as a people has always been through the colonial point of view. Right. And so I agree with you. That also is something that I don't know why makes me proud. <laughs> In addition to finding out about the pineapple, the horses, and other things that were introduced to us from Mexico, I realized there were things that we also introduced to Mexico. Nice. A couple of interesting things. The language is spoken on the trip to Acapulco were Spanish and Tagalog, right? Right. And then the languages spoken on the trip back to Manila were Spanish and uh, like a native Indian language, Nahutal. So aside from languages that were traded, we also introduced fruits to Mexico, the coconut and the mangoes. The mangoes. Yeah. And in addition, because of that introduction, some words in Mexico were Tagalog words like the tuba. They nice. actually speak it there. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. This really makes me excited to go back and look at Manila again through a different perspective. Tara, let's go back. Yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our episode. We hope you join us on our next trip. Oshasha. Ingat! Thanks for listening to Jeepney Trip with Carmina and Patch. Logo designed by Fred Agkawili. If you want to listen to more episodes, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts or wherever all fine podcasts are downloaded. We'd love to hear from you, so please rate and leave a review. Follow Jeepney Trip on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a question, email us at jeepneytrip at gmail.com.